Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Horror Story is a podcast about strange and mysterious true horrors. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and producer of Horror Story. In the show, I have an episode called There's a Stranger in Your Walls. And it's about a woman that moved out of her home because she thought it was being haunted. But the truth happened to be even scarier than the ghosts. Other stories dive deep into the supernatural, like the one of the most infamous cases of real ghosts, called The Haunting in San Pedro. But if you're into mysteries, learn about the pilot who disappeared in the sky. All of these and more are available on Horror Story right now, with more episodes coming out every single week. You can search for the podcast by typing in Horror Story on your podcast app right now. The show is the one with the yellow letters. I'll see you over there on Horror Story. True Scary Story is a podcast about personal, terrifying stories dealing with the paranormal. True accounts from people who live through strange and supernatural experiences, told directly by them. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, and for years I have been listening to stories from people who have shared their most frightening true experiences with me. There was one story recently called There's Something in the Closet, where Juanita tells us about her experiences growing up in a house where she would see objects physically move on their own, but the rest of her family would act as if nothing was happening. It wasn't until years later that she found out what the source of it all was, which makes me wonder... If you were to witness a haunting, who would believe you? Come find True Scary Story by typing it into your app right now. I'll see you over there on True Scary Story. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Want to make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video again? Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. 
You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about prophetic pregnancies and malicious mourners. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Cindy Jacosta and N.M. Brown are voice talents Melissa Exelberth, Heather Thomas, Nick Goroff, Justine Anastasia, and Jason Hill. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale tonight comes to us from author Cindy Jacosta and is performed by Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's voice talents Melissa Exelberth and Heather Thomas. In it, we'll meet Evelyn Soriano, a pregnant housewife who is trying to come to terms with her parents' deaths, dad and stepmom, along with her estranged mother's suicide. She's left with the only family she knows, Mama Lorraine, her aunt on her mother's side. While Evelyn loves and trusts her aunt, the situation makes her uneasy. You see, Evelyn's family, including Mama Lorraine, was once part of a cult. Without further ado, I present to you, Us, the Church. The time on the lock screen flashes, 12.44 p.m. She slaps the phone back on the nightstand. The empty spot beside her on the bed is untouched. She figures he slept in the downstairs office again, buried in piles of paperwork. But no matter how busy he gets, he'll take the time to check up on her. She wonders why he didn't wake her up for lunch. Don't forget that you're eating for two, he usually reminds her. I know. Sometimes her appetite isn't there. For Evelyn Soriano... The last couple months have been one messy blur. There's a hole in her chest. An immeasurable black hole where light and happiness go to die. It appeared on the day when she found Dad and her stepmom dead. It only got bigger since then, even long after the memorial service and when their ashes were scattered. The hole almost sucked her into its vortex. To this day, she's clinging on to its edge with just the fingertips. And when she thought she had no feelings left to spare, a month later on a sunny afternoon, she had ten missed calls and Mama Lorang's voice message. It's your mother. She's gone. I'm so sorry. Estranged mother who took a knife and plunged it into her throat. Despite not having seen her for twenty years, Evelyn did feel a pain twinge in her chest. The hole grew a hairline bigger. She throws off the blanket and caresses her globose belly. 
imagining how it'll be like to hold the baby when it's born. She wonders whose face it'll resemble the most, Mr. Soriano's or hers. Perhaps it'll inherit their best features. And when it grows up, she wonders what kind of person it'll become. A thought crosses her mind. Can the baby sense her grief? Can it experience her spiraling depression? Whatever the mother eats and feels, she passes on to the offspring. She read that somewhere, maybe from someone's status post or a meme. Her feet search the floor for the slippers. She gets off the bed, studies herself with a hand on the nightstand, then waddles over to the coat stand, gets her bathrobe, and puts it on. Sunlight floods the dark, gloomy room when she pulls the long, silky curtains open. The window has a wide view of the large garden in the backyard. Several beige-uniformed gardeners are scattered about the landscape, tending to the roses and salvia perennials. What catches her eye is the hexagon-shaped wooden stage being built. She doesn't remember ever arranging an appointment for the construction. She thumbs through the calendar in her mind, trying to figure out if she's forgotten about a planned event, and she's made up her mind to cancel it anyway. The emotional crisis in the family hasn't yet passed. Too soon, too raw to force a smile, welcome guests to the home. It's all too soon. One of the carpenters stops hammering. His back stiffens and he peers over his shoulder, eyes up to the window. Evelyn shuts the curtains. Something about that smile shakes her up. He smiled at her as if he knew her. She knows for sure that she's never met or seen him before. The gardeners and carpenters are unfamiliar to her. From the hallway, she hears Mama Lorang's light-hearted singing voice in the kitchen downstairs. She looks forward to her aunt's visits. Mama Lorang had saved her countless times from getting sucked into the hole. She's been there for her. She cradled her like a baby when Evelyn fought off the maddening grips of grief. She makes her way to the kitchen, believing she can get through another day without breaking apart until something stops her halfway. The piercing gaze of her mother. It's been 20 years since she's seen mother's pinched face and hard stare. The last time she did see mother was the night of the escape from the compound. Dad told her not to look back, but she couldn't help herself. She saw her by the window on the second floor, watching them run with those piercing dark eyes as if to say that no matter where they ran to, she'd find a way to always watch them. And now the late matriarch painted as oil on canvas in a gilded frame is perched on the fireplace mantel with a table of food and wine stretched out before it. She hated photos. She claimed the camera imprisoned people's souls. The elaborate altar dwarfs the humble one Evelyn had set up for her dad and stepmom. A table in the corner, with white candles and flowers picked from the garden, surrounding the late couple's framed photographs. Disturbed, she strides into the kitchen and finds her beloved aunt singing and swaying her hips to a song. 
the feeling she had earlier, the uncomfortableness of seeing Mother's image, vanishes for a moment. Mama Lorraine, a tiny lady in her mid-fifties who has a penchant for bright flowery clothes and leopard-print bug-eyed sunglasses, cooks by the stove with a smile on her face. What would she have done without her aunt these past two months? That's what Evelyn often wonders. She's grateful that Mama Lorraine's there to care for the household duties while she muddles through pregnancy and the ugliness of grief. And she's there to keep her company when Mr. Soriano is forced to leave their comfortable countryside home on business. It's why Evelyn struggles to find a delicate way to bring up the matter about the portrait. She listens to the older woman talk about her day, an old friend she'd run into at the craft store, the fresh-cut lilies she brought to brighten up the Soriano's somber house, and the few friends she's decided to meet later in the evening. All the while, Mother stays in Evelyn's mind, like a scar that reminds her of the brutal day she got it. Then she blurts it out. Did you put up that painting in the sitting room? What is it you say, dear? The painting in the sitting room, she repeats. Did you put that up? Ah, well, I felt the room was missing something. I want it taken down. Taken down? Yes, the portrait. Evelyn can't believe she has to tell her aunt about it when the old woman knows the reason. Mama Lorraine glances over at the clock on the wall. Have you eaten yet? She takes out a plate from the cupboard, puts a couple of pieces of chicken thighs on, scoops up rice from the rice cooker, and piles it on the plate. You need to eat for the sake of yourself and your child. She places it on the table. I'll have to make some more for the workers out back. Why did you put it up? Evelyn asked. Mama Lorraine sets the plate of food on the dining table and ushers the heavily pregnant Evelyn to her seat. She snaps her fingers and says, Fork and spoon. You need a fork and spoon to eat with. She grabs the silverware from a drawer. Auntie, you're ignoring my questions. Evelyn snaps, watching the older woman fiddle with the silverware in her hands. I'm sorry, dear. What were you asking? Why did you put up that altar? Because she was your mother and my only sister. She sits herself in a chair beside her and drops the silverware onto the plate. Yeah, and? And? Yeah, like, so what? Mama Lorraine purses her lips. Don't disrespect the dead, Evie. I feel that despite her mistakes, we need to learn how to forgive. <laughs> forgive? Evelyn scoffs. 20 years ago, she chose them over her own family. Me, my dad, and you. Have you forgotten about that? No, I haven't forgotten, but she had deep convictions that were impossible to break, and the church... Evelyn cuts her off. You and I know that it wasn't a church. Call it whatever you want, but it was her home, and it was ours too for a time. She closes a hand over Evelyn's. I mean, it wasn't all that bad living there. And you said yourself before that you sometimes missed the freedom you had running around in the wild. Evelyn shifts uneasily in her chair, bites the inside of her lower lip. It's true. She hates to admit it to herself. There are times when she'd have dreams about the vast forest that had surrounded the compound. She misses playing by the lake and daring the other kids to jump off the short cliff with her into the water. But those fond memories are overshadowed by things she can't even dare herself to speak of. The rituals she had seen the church do 
It was what happened when one reached the ripe age, Mother had explained. Those dark memories fill her up with a deep humiliation and shame for having taken part in them. Not taking part, she reminds herself. I was like the others. Coerced. Manipulated. And brainwashed. Guilted. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I miss the innocence of my childhood days, she says. And that's why we moved here, to the countryside. Actually, now that she thinks of it, the idea belongs to Mama Lorraine, who insisted the move would do Evelyn and her husband good. But the other things that happened there, I can't. The muscles in her throat tense up so tight, words refuse to leave. That's why when your mother became the high priestess, she put an end to those horrific practices. What? Her head snaps up and wonders if she has heard her right. She became high priestess and changed the church for the better. The floor is falling away from under her feet. No, no, no. Mama Lorraine places her second hand atop Evelyn's. It's different now, Evie. You should forgive your mother. Forgive the church. You can't be serious, Auntie. Do you hear yourself? Have you forgotten the sick things they made us do? The killings and the loving rituals? Her blood bubbling. My God, have you forgotten? Mama Lorraine shakes her head. No, I haven't forgotten. But listen to me. We vowed to cut all ties from the church. And that meant cutting off ties with her, too. I couldn't do it. Hearing those words from the woman who she trusted for years turns Evelyn's stomach. She was my dearest sister. Mama Lorraine continues. We've been through it all together, and I loved her, flaws and all. So to cut her out of my life completely was something I just couldn't do. No, no, no. After everything we've gone through to rebuild our lives, to have a fucking normal life. The church isn't like what it used to be. Your mother changed. Evelyn slaps both palms flat on the table. It's not a church. It wasn't a church then. It is not a church now. No matter how much your mother changed it, its roots are still the same. Mama Lorraine leans back in silence. After a moment passes, with the tension in the air refusing to loosen, she says, She loved you, Evie, so much. Lifting up the sunglasses to wipe a teary eye with a finger. A week before her death, she told me the one thing she regretted in her life. It was letting you go. Now, more irritated than before, Evelyn gets up from the seat. 
She doesn't want to hear any of it. No more about her mother and the church. First, Dad and her stepmom are dead. Then finding out the only relative on Mother's side has betrayed her trust. Where are you going? Asks Mama Lorang. I'm heading back to bed. No, sit down. You need to eat. It's not good for the baby if you... Right now, Auntie, I feel exhausted. And I don't have much of an appetite. She says, making her way to the door. As she opens the door, she adds, I want the portrait down. She leans back against the closed door with her eyes shut. Her heart pounds against her chest in rhythm with the carpenters hammering in the background. She reminds herself to tell her husband to cancel whatever event is being planned. She's in no mood to host a party and entertain guests. When she opens her eyes, she sees Mother looking at her from the fireplace mantle. Her hands curl up into fists, and she fights off the urge to stride over to the painting and hurl it somewhere far, preferably in a deep pit and doused with gasoline, and then set on fire. She calls out to Mama Lorang and tells her that the table of food also needs to be put away. Flies are already hovering around the bowls and plates on the altar. She swats them away and starts to gather the plates together, but nearly drops a plate of papaya slices when a black beetle pops out from among the black seeds and crawls onto the table. She flicks it off. It lands on its back on the floor. Its six little legs flap wildly, grasping at the air to flip itself over. Another black beetle pops out from the seeds. This time she tosses the bowl back onto the table, knocking over the wine glass. The papaya seeds spill out from the bowl. Its black seeds scatter across the white tablecloth, which has reddened from the spilled wine. Tiny black legs sprout from the seeds, antenna wavering. She stumbles back as the table is overrun with more black beetles. An odd feeling stirs up inside her. It's a feeling she's experienced before, one that shakes her nerves in such a violent way her senses grow numb. It's a memory. She's locked up in chains and buried it deep in the recess of her mind. It's re-emerging before her eyes, the scene of the day she discovered her parents' bodies. There were black beetles at Dad's house. They were the first thing she saw when... She opened the back door to the kitchen. She had rung the bell several times. When no one had answered the front door, she knew something was wrong. The dread weighed her down, and she crumbled. Dad was slouched at the table. His eyes and mouth were deep holes of darkness from where the beetles poured out in an endless stream, and her stepmom was sprawled on the floor behind the counter. The insects roamed in and out of her eye sockets and mouth, and every orifice in her body. Their eyes and tongue were never recovered. The murderer was never found. It'll remain a cold case in the books, but Evelyn doesn't need a detective to solve it. She knows who had done it. They did it without needing to set foot inside of the house. Their high priestess sits upon the fireplace as if it's a throne, 
and in her calm, reddish-brown eyes, the world is reflected upside down. Dad once warned her about people with that kind of eyes. They can perform miracles, he had told her, and they can conjure up nightmares. They've no light in their soul, and they're so consumed by their own selfishness and their hate for those who aren't with them, the world appears upside down in their eyes. The Beatles lead her to the home office. They crawl in and out the gap under the closed door. The familiar dread returns. It grows heavier with each step closer to the door. She tells herself that behind the door, Mr. Soriano is working hard like he does every day. He works hard for the family they're creating together. She'll find him at his oak wood desk. He'll look up and ask if she and the baby are well, and if she's eaten yet. Let's take a stroll outside before dinner, he'll suggest. Then he'll pause for a moment, look down at his work, and add, Just give me another five minutes to wrap things up here. She'll nod and say, Okay, I'll be waiting. Then she'll close the door to let him finish his work. That's how it'll go, she tells herself again. She raises a trembling hand to the doorknob. Her heart beats as loud as the hammering. She turns the knob. The door cracks open. An odor like spoiled fruits and eggs breathes in her face, and her hand shoots up and shields her mouth and nose. A sickness rises from her stomach to her throat. She grits her teeth to keep the sickness in. She peers into the room. The high back swivel chair behind the desk has its back turned to her. The flies circle the top of his slumped head like a halo. She doesn't need to see his face. She knows there will be three deep holes of darkness from which the beetles flow out in droves, consuming his once handsome face. The pain in her chest is unbearable. She wants nothing but to die on the spot. Now she's alone. The people she loved are gone. She's left with no one. It's going to be alright, dear. Mama Lorraine's voice comes up from behind her. Startled, Evelyn staggers back against the wall. Stay away from me! Get out of my house! Mama Lorraine lifts up her sunglasses and leaves them to sit atop her head. It's the first time Evelyn has looked into her aunt's reddish-brown eyes, which are always hidden behind the bug-eyed sunglasses and avoiding eye contact with anyone. Dad's voice whispers in her ears. Run. With one hand under her large belly, Evelyn shoves Mama the ring out of the way and bolts toward the front door. She doesn't get far as a pair of strong arms wrap themselves around her waist and hold her back. She looks up to see that these arms belong to one of the carpenters. Someone else appears next to her, one of the beige uniformed gardeners, and helps the carpenter hold her down onto the floor. She kicks and screams. They remain calm and cool. Mama Lorraine kneels beside her with a syringe in hand. 
It's going to be all right, dear, she says again, and inserts the needle into Evelyn's forearm. A sob escapes Evelyn's throat. Why are you doing this? Auntie, stop. Oh, my dearest niece, Mama Lorraine says, and strokes her cheek wet from tears. Don't be afraid. Your mother will be arriving soon, and she'll make it all better. All the world will be right once again. This I promise you. Whatever the syringe contained, its effects are instant. Evelyn's arms and legs become like dead weights. A wave of drowsiness washes over her, drags her into unconsciousness. And the last thing she sees is her reflection upside down in Mama Lorang's eyes. The time on the lock screen lights up brightly in the dark room. 12.44 a.m. The phone slips from her loose grasp and drops to the floor. The lethargy is fading, but lingering. She doesn't remember walking up the stairs to the bedroom, crawling into bed, and falling asleep. The spot beside her is untouched and very cold. Maybe he's still downstairs in his office working, buried in piles of paperwork. She throws off the blanket, her arms still weak like jello, but slowly regaining some strength. She feels the baby shift positions and, in the process, it gives her a good, sharp kick. She touches the spot where she felt the kick. The baby's restless, hungry. Her stomach growls and she can't recall if she's eaten dinner. I should get something to eat, she mumbles to herself. She reaches for the lamp switch. No light. She presses it again, on and off, but the light doesn't turn on. Her feet search the floor for the slippers. She gets off the bed, steadies herself with a hand on the nightstand, then waddles over to the window, accidentally knocking over the coat stand. She grasps the long, silky curtains and pulls them open. A soft current of moonlight streams into the room. The moon looms over the silhouette of evergreen trees and mountains. Its light doesn't, however, reach the pitch-black darkness of the garden. Something in the abyss is watching her, calling for her to come down and join it. A cold shiver runs up and down her spine and digs into her bones to the marrow. Something's not right. She feels it. That feeling of dread hasn't left. Then, piece by piece, things begin to trickle back to her. The black beetles. Mother's altar. And she didn't come up the stairs on her own. She was carried up. The coat stand rises up from the floor, lifted up by a hand attached to a long, pale arm. That arm is attached to a slender, naked man, stepping out from the dark corner. Evelyn shrieks. Her body was scared stiff. He gives her a big, toothy smile, the same enigmatic grin she's seen that afternoon. That unsettling smile, that knowing look in those wide, unblinking eyes. He's excited about something. His gaze falls, 
on her round belly. Without a word, he takes one step forward. She staggers back two steps. Something bursts and spills out between her legs like a popped water balloon, and the water pools around her feet. At that moment, the adrenaline kicks in. She scrambles for the door, praying for the baby to hold on, stay in until she can reach the only landline phone in her husband's home office and dial 911. There's no way she's going back to the bedroom to find her phone she's dropped on the floor. The naked intruder stands in the doorway, but doesn't take a step further. The delicate light of a candle floats toward her in the darkened hallway, and that candle is held by two hands attached to the arms of another naked intruder, a woman. She had the same crazed eyes, the same unnerving smile. She gestures for Evelyn to follow her down the steps. The light guides them to the sitting room where Mama Lorang is lighting the white candles on Mother's altar. The first sharp pain of labor squeezes Evelyn. She falls onto the plush sofa. Her hands grip the cushions until the pain passes. Mama Lorang puts her sunglasses on the altar, kisses her hand, and touches a corner of Mother's portrait to pass on the kiss to her beloved late sister. Before I left the church with you and your father, she says, seating herself next to Evelyn, I promised your mother that I'd look out for you, that I'd be there when you needed me, and I've done just that. She strokes Evelyn's large belly, places an ear to it. You murdered my family. Evelyn's voice breaks. Mama Lorraine cups her cheeks, wipes a tear with a thumb. Evelyn throws her head back. She grips the cushions again while the pangs of labor ripple through her body. From the shadows, the followers of the church emerge in their nakedness, and on Mama Lorang's order, they carry Evelyn above their heads out to the garden, where they lay her on a bed placed on a torchlit stage. Overwhelmed with pain, she doesn't fight back. A scream rips its way out of her throat. The followers yodel and sing praises in tongues. The night vibrating with intense energy arouses them and sways them to succumb to their raw desires. They love as one, moan and pant as one, release as one. Evelyn grits her teeth, fighting back against the pain pulling her in and out of consciousness. Something's trying to claw its way out of her. The followers cry and point between her legs. They tell her she must witness the miracle with her own eyes and place a mirror for her to see. She sees Mother's face. The reddish-brown eyes that see the world upside down stare right back at her from the dark chasm. And when she feels it leave the womb, she hears its shrill howl. A horrible fear seizes her. She's afraid of what has arrived, of what she's bound to for life, and maybe even beyond death. Our High Priestess is reborn. The Church rejoices.
I hope you enjoyed Us, the Church, as written by Cindy Jacosta and performed by the incomparable Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's voice talents, Melissa Exelberth and Heather Thomas. Melissa Exelberth's vocal performances and talent can be found on our Simply Scary Podcast Network, as well as on her website, melissaexelberth.com. That's M-E-L-I-S-S-A-E-L-B-E-R-T-H dot com. Heather Thomas's performances can be found right here on our very own network, as well as over at the Creepy Podcast, where you'll find by going to www.creepypod.com. That's C-R-E-E-P-Y-P-O-D. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you, as written by our very own N.M. Brown and performed by Nick Goroff, Justine Anastasia, and Jason Hill. In it, we'll meet Howard, a normal man working a seemingly normal shift at a call center job on Father's Day. As normal as one could get as a suicide hotline help center anyway. On this particular day, however, Howard finds himself saving a life in a very strange and sinister way. Now, without further ado, I present to you a Suicide Hotline Father's Day. Holidays can be one of the busiest times of year for mental health services, but especially so for suicide hotlines. This was my first year on duty, this last year that gave me the day off. We didn't have that option this year. Too short-staffed. Brighter Futures is a damn ghost town this quarter. It seems like we lose three employees the second one new one comes in the door. It's almost like a sickness has taken over. I'm not worried, though. If I could handle working through two Christmas seasons, I can handle a Father's Day shift. Although I can't help but bitterly compare the two. At least the Christmas season came with bonuses. The suicide hotline company I work for brighter futures has been through a rough year we've lost a lot of people days like this make me miss Gabe the most ashamedly though I'm kind of glad he wasn't alive to experience his first father's day without his kids what a terrible thing our janitor Lyle did a great job cleaning the night before as always I can't believe he agrees to come in every other Saturday, as well as his usual five weekdays. Maybe this job is all he has. That's sad to think about. There's a haunting aura to this place. I don't know why anyone would want to be here any longer than necessary. Punch in, answer calls, and punch out. No extras. I'm greeted by the usual group of co-workers and respond in kind as usual. We're here today to help you make it through tomorrow. But who's going to make sure we make it till then? My co-workers, Gabe, Nick, Ava, Madison. Gone. Just like that. My ass barely has time to warm my chair when the phone rings. My arms break out in goose pimples. You never know what situation is going to greet you on the other end of these calls. I warily answer the line. 
Thank you for calling Brighter Future Suicide Hotline. We're here today to help you make it through tomorrow. My name is Howard. How best can I be here for you today? Hi, Howard. I... I really need someone right now. Okay. Well, what can I call you, friend? My name's Jared. And I've never felt more alone in this world. Hey, you're not alone now, Jared. I'm right here. Tell me what's going on, buddy. My son, Jonah, he's, um, he's. <laughs> what's the matter with Jonah? Talk to me. I know it's hard, but you'll feel better. A problem shared is a problem halved. I was outside, cutting the grass. My wife was inside, with Jonah. For oh, fuck's sake, he's only 14 months old. I'm listening. What happened next, Jared? Take all the time that you need. I'm here when you're ready to continue. My wife was giving him a bath when her phone rang. She was always on that fucking phone. I wanted to smash it so many times. God, my baby boy. Stay with me, Jared. Tell me, are you having suicidal thoughts right now? Is that the reason why you're calling? Oh, yeah. I mean, they aren't thoughts, though, my good man. They're plans. I need to be with my boy. He's cold. And scared. Where is Jonah right now, Jared? What happened? Her phone was on the charger in the kitchen. She wasn't there for longer than five minutes. Jonah's been able to sit on his own for months now, and I... I don't understand. I... Horror grips my heart with frozen tendrils of dread as I begin to piece everything together. This poor, heartbroken man. Jared, try to slow down. I know you or your wife would never do anything to intentionally endanger your children. Mistakes happen. Did he fall and hurt himself? I feel like a complete jackass even asking this, but my heart has to hold out hope that this little boy isn't dead. She came outside screaming. Her eyes were raw, her voice was strained from wailing. She sounded like a demon. Those eight words slowed time itself, sending me to an eternal hell with each syllable. Jay, help! I found Jonah face down in the tub. I ran past her, not even caring that I knocked her down on the way inside the house. My baby was laid out on the bathroom floor, surrounded by tiles. The blue hue of his lips eternally broke the dams of my humanity. The bitch didn't even try CPR before coming to get me. If she had, they might still be alive right now. I'm so sorry, my friend. My heart breaks for you to hear this. How long ago did you lose your son? Thirteen days ago. Oh, shit, man. I'm so sorry. 
Today is a hard day for a lot of folks, but people in your position especially. There's not a name for it, you know? What's that? Losing a child. If you lose a spouse, you become a widow. If you lose your parents, you become an orphan. Well, there's not a name for a parent that loses their child. It's something that's not supposed to happen. I can remember the day we found out Corrine was pregnant. She sent me right out to buy her Wendy's chili and Rocky Road ice cream. I did it too. Gladly. That's the way, Jared. It's impossible to see the light through your grief right now, but your happy moments about Jonah will eventually bring you comfort. It was my good boy. Just started toddling around, taking his first running steps. What are you doing right now, man? Are you alright? You don't sound right. Yeah, I called from my cell phone. I have the Bluetooth headset connected, so my hands are free. I'm alright. Just taking care of some important matters. Jared, where's your wife right now? She's hurting too, and probably feels responsible for what happened. You two are gonna need to lean on it. You're damned right she feels responsible. It was her fucking fault! Corrine might as well have thrown him to the bottom of a swimming pool and walked away! Her and that goddamned phone. Sir, I understand you're angry. Grief can take on many, many forms. Some are more destructive than others. Don't push the pain in your heart onto your wife. That wasn't a fair statement to make. I certainly hope you didn't say anything like that to her. I wince. Shit. I crossed a line. That was too far. Desperate people don't call here to be judged. They call because they need our help. And I feel a blood pressure headache coming on. Jared? Jared, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm a little, uh... busy, but I'm here. Jared, what are you doing right now? Are you feeling any better from when you first called? I feel like you're distracted right now, and I can't tell if it's a good thing or a bad thing. See, Howard, I can't lean on my wife. I know a part of me will hate her until the day that I die. It's bad enough I have to walk through this world of father robbed of his duties. Life wouldn't be worth living if I had to look her in the face every day. To know that she's breathing air when our baby's under all of that dirt in the dark. I think enough life has been lost here already. You can't make comparisons like that. It's illogical. The world doesn't work that way. Nothing is going to bring him back or take away your pain. But if your wife was gone, that would open up a whole new hallway of agony down the line for you, my friend. You need each other. Please don't do anything rash, Jared. Your family's been through enough. There is no family just yet. What do you mean? 
Where's Corinne? I've taken her to be with Jonah. Where she belongs. He needs to see that Daddy sacrificed it all for him. I made it so he wouldn't be alone. And soon, I'll join them. Our family can reunite on the other side, where Jonah can run and play forever. Jared, I'm tracking your location and alerting authorities in your area for your safety. I'm very alarmed by what you've been saying to me. I think you need more help than I can give you over the phone from where I'm at. Stay on the line with me, okay? We'll get through this together, buddy. It's gonna be okay. 911, what's your emergency? Hi there, my name is Howard Jimenez. I work for the Brighter Future. Hello? Operator? Hello? I unmute Jared, and I'm relieved to hear he's still on the line. One more? Ah, oh, fucking crowbar. I need a damned casket key. Jared, what are you doing? Howard. Buddy, I really want to thank you, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Tomorrow, I'm gonna call and speak to your manager and make sure that you get a raise. You've saved me. I'm not sure I understand. When I first called you, I intended to have it be the last phone call I ever made on this earth. I had my nine racked and ready to go. But you're right. There's been enough death. I've been focusing on all the negatives. Just because my boy is dead doesn't mean I still can't be his father. Still can't bring him home. Jared, stop! This is wrong! I never said anything about- Thank you, Howard. I have my boy all buckled up in his car seat in the van. The hole had to be expanded, but I made sure his mother rests peacefully in his place. I'm gonna take Jonah home now. It's almost time for him to eat dinner and go to bed. I hope you enjoyed A Suicide Hotline Father's Day, as written by N.M. Brown and voiced by Nick Goroff, Justine Anastasia, and Jason Hill. Author N.M. Brown's work can be found throughout our YouTube channel and podcast episodes, as well as on her author profile with us at creepypastastories.com. Just search for Brown in the search bar, that's B-R-O-W-N, to find more of her terrifying tales and ways to follow her on social media. Voice actor and 2016 Evil Idol champion Nick Goroff's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also join Nick on his YouTube channel, Wizard of Cause. And as a reminder, you can hear more of Justine Anastasia right here on our official YouTube channel. She has also written for the show, as well as being one of the judges for the 2019 Evil Idol voice acting competition. If you check her out, and you really should, be sure to give her performance a thumbs up and leave her a kind word. 
and tell her you heard her on this program and that Steve sent you. It would mean a lot to me. You can hear more of Jason on Horror Hill, now in its fourth season, with new episodes released weekly. Check it out and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss your regular dose of the dreadful. You won't be sorry that you did. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. If you have, thank you. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.